Uh, we're going to hear from the Bible now and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15 and Joan's going to come and read that for us. Uh, you'll see it on the screen if you've got Bibles open. It'll be great for you to look at that as well. You'll see there's an outline on the back of your service sheet as well. Um, if you're following from your pew Bible there, it's on page 722. The death of Jesus. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, said, where, uh, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of, ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thank you. Who's seen Risen? Yep. So some of us watched it here at uh, the beginning of, uh, oh, in the middle of this year. Uh, it's a story about, well, a bit of a made-up story, but it's a story about the centurion who went out uh, 
It was there when Jesus died, not the one at the cross at the time, but one who was around him. Through that Jesus was risen, he was given the job to go and find the body. And so he was... Uh, and to get it, and to squash this whole thing immediately. Uh, so he does that. Well, he goes out in search of it. And he goes right through, and the, and the movie's really quite a good representation of the day and the time. There are elements of it, obviously, because it's a movie that you think, oh, they may have fudged that one a little bit. Uh, but it's a great movie if you want to look at it and, uh, and see it. And the tension that you get as you look at this movie, that it builds up to Jesus' death, and the fact that if his resurrection is true then it changes everything. Uh, one of the statements that he says that if it's true, then eternity hangs on it. And so he goes through and you find at the end of it, uh, he doesn't find the body and he actually meets Jesus and he becomes a follower of Jesus at the end of it. Uh, it's a great story and it's a great thing too and it's very true, isn't it? If the resurrection of Jesus is true, it changes everything. If Jesus' death and resurrection is real, eternity does hang on it. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about today as we look through the passage together. We're going to be thinking about, does this change everything? Does this hold eternity? Is it true? Does it hold water? Is it right? Uh, and does it make a difference to you and I in the world that we live in? Uh, so we're going to look at that together. You'll see that there's an outline on the back of your service sheet. Uh, this story is a little bit different in Mark because uh, often in stories you get uh, the beginning, you get the middle, and then you get the end, don't you? That's the way stories ne normally work. Well, in this one, we've almost had the middle, uh, we've had the end, but then we get another beginning. So it's a little bit of a different story, isn't it, to the normal one? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at that. We're going to see uh, what seems to be the end, uh, then we're going to see the beginning, uh, but then we're also going to see the future that we have in this as well. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up and follow along with me and let's uh, see as we move through this passage and as we move through this together that we'll move like the disciples and like the women that we may move from fear to hope. Well, the end. Uh, we get to the end of this, don't we? Uh, throughout Mark and throughout the whole of uh, that we've been looking at, uh, we've seen that Jesus has been telling his disciples continually that he's going to die. But he's been telling them continually that he's going to die, but also that he's going to rise again. So when we get here to this part of the story, it's really built up, hasn't it? Mark has raced us right through this. The tension's happening. It's building up. There's thousands upon thousands of people in Jerusalem for Passover. There's stuff going on everywhere. And in the middle of it, there's this trial of Jesus and then the crucifixion of Jesus. And we get to that and we see, don't we, right in the middle of it, at the end, Jesus makes a loud cry. You notice in Mark's Gospel and in just about all of the Gospels that the actual writers of the Gospel don't make a whole lot about Jesus' physical pain. You notice that? They'll mention how he was crucified, but they won't go into how excruciating that would have been to have nails hammered through your, your wrists and through your feet and then to hang on the cross. Well, I think there's a reason for it. 
Because I think what Mark wants to do and the Gospel writers want you to focus on is not so much that there is a physical pain going on for Jesus, but there is a spiritual and a relational pain going on for Jesus. And I think we see that in this statement that Jesus makes right at the end, doesn't he? Eloi, Eloi, Sabachthani. He means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, what there is in that sense, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, he is saying, I am in a loving relationship. You are mine and I am yours. That sense of my is that he is in this intense, loving relationship with his heavenly Father. And in this moment, that is being shattered and ripped apart. That there is separation happening between the Godhead, between the Trinity. That is so hard to possibly imagine, isn't it? That something that is one intimately from eternity, one is being ripped apart at the cross. There is separation relationally, spiritually and emotionally happening between Jesus and God on the cross. And that's where the greatest pain is happening. That's where the most desperate pain is happening. Because at that moment, Jesus is taking on our separation from God our distance from God because of our sin and rebellion against God. Jesus didn't deserve it. He was perfect. He didn't deserve that. He was in that intimate relationship with God. One. He was one with him. But at the cross he's separated because of us. Because of me. That is the pain that Jesus is going through. You see, the deeper the love, the longer the love, the greater the torment of loss. Now, uh, if you were here today, and there are some visitors here today, and maybe at the end of today you walked up to me out at the door and you said, Paul, that was a horrible sermon, I hated it, and I really don't like the way you dress, and I'm never coming back again. I'd go, well, that's a bit sad, isn't it? But it's okay. You've got your thing. But if Karina walked up to me at the end, my wife, and said to me, Paul, that is the worst sermon I've ever heard and I don't like the way you dressed. In fact, I'm leaving you right at this very moment. Now that would rip me apart, wouldn't it? Well, you'd hope it would. It would, wouldn't it? It would, it would destroy me. It would, you wouldn't see me out at morning tea. I'd be gone. But it would, it would rip you apart, wouldn't it? If I don't know you and you decide to have nothing else to do with me, that doesn't hurt much. It'd be disappointing, but it doesn't hurt much. But when I've loved someone so deeply and intimately as my wife wants to wreck that and destroy that, or maybe I did it, but that separation will be almost unbearable. You see, the deeper the love, the longer the love, the greater the torment of loss. That is what Jesus is experiencing to the nth degree on the cross for you and I. 
Literally, he is being broken down on the cross. Literally, he is being undone on the cross. Literally, all that he is, the creator of everything, is being completely shattered on the cross. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's feeling that. He's experiencing that for you and me. God so loved you and I so much, that Jesus loved you and I so much that he bore the brunt of God's anger and wrath against our sin and was separated for you and I. It's amazing, isn't it? That he would do that for us. Heart ripped open so that our heart could be mended, so that our relationship could be restored, so that you and I can cry out to my God, my God, I don't believe you've saved me. That's what's happening at the cross for you and I. And you notice that this happens in the darkness. From the third hour to the sixth hour, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness comes over the whole land. If you notice in Mark, the bad stuff happens in the darkness. Jesus was betrayed in the darkness. Jesus' trial was done in the darkness. And now Jesus' death happens in the darkness. Now this is just not a solar eclipse. This is extraordinary miracle of God that closes down everything for a three-hour period because it's a demonstration of the darkness that Jesus is going through, the darkness that our sin has put on him. And it's horrible. Darkness, complete darkness and separation absolutely undoes anyone. This is a cell, it's called the Solitary Confinement Cell at Port Arthur. If you've ever been there, they take you for a tour, you can go into this and you can go inside and then they close the door on you. And when they close the door on you, you can absolutely see nothing. It is pitch black. You can't see this far from you. We're in there with other people, you can't even know that, that you wouldn't know them apart from the fact they were breathing and they were speaking. You cannot see them. It is unbelievably dark. And they used to put people in there for weeks on end. And what happened to people when they came out of it, they had to build a hospital beside it for all the people who went crazy and mad within the middle of it. It sends you bonkers. Complete blackness and darkness. And that's what God is demonstrating here on the cross of what Jesus is experiencing for you and me. Complete and utter darkness. But the great news is it doesn't stay dark, does it? That light comes and light comes out of that. 
within the Bible, you often hear that uh, God is, uh, and Jesus is, is, is demonstrated and pictured as the sun, as bright as the sun, as brilliant as the sun. And I think there's a reason for that is because sun brings light, doesn't it? Sun brings light and it opens up truth. When we see things, we know things, don't we? And God is the one that brings light and truth into the world and life into the world. And so when we see that, it talks about it being the centre of it. Uh, Tim Keller, in a book that he wrote, talks about uh, the fact that the worlds and the worlds rotate, don't they? They orbit around the sun because sun brings life and truth and light to all things and we orbit around it. The hard thing is what happens if we move outside that orbit of the sun, then it becomes darkness, doesn't it? And the further you get away from the sun, the more that it gets dark. But what Jesus does is he brings us into the light and he brings us into the orbit of the sun. And when our life is orbiting around the sun, then it brings life and light and truth to you and I. Isn't that wonderful? That's what Jesus does. Even though he takes on that darkness, he brings light to you and I. But so often I think we find, don't we, that we tend to orbit around something other than the sun. Our life tends to start to orbit around other things that become like the sun. Our career, our jobs, our families, our possessions, our good name. We start to orbit around other things and we start to move into darkness. God wants us to orbit around him and his son Jesus to come around him because that's where there is life and light and truth in him. And that is available to you and I at the cross. Jesus deals with the darkness, doesn't he? And he brings light. You see, that's what the curtain's about, isn't it? When you look at what Jesus talks about, he talks about the curtain being ripped from top to bottom uh, inside the Holy of Holies in the temple. It was dark. But he rips it open and light comes in and floods it open to the world that now we have opportunity and access into God forever. That's where light comes for you and I. And the centurion on the cross works that out, doesn't he? You see, the end is not the end, is it? The end is actually the beginning. The ripping of the curtain, the opening up of access to God is actually the beginning of life and light and truth for the world. And the centurion works it. Look what he says there in verse 39. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely... This man was the Son of God. Now, he's the first guy to say that, by the way, in Mark. Peter says, you're the Christ. But when he says the Son of God, he's taking it back to Daniel chapter 7, which is the Messiah that is going to bring life and light and truth to the world. And he makes that pronouncement. That's a pretty amazing pronouncement, isn't it? This centurion's there. He looks up and he sees that and he pronounced that. Well, we actually think that this centurion probably was there for a bit longer than just the time of the crucifixion. We think he might have been there when Jesus was on trial and when Jesus was spat on and when he was whipped and when he carried the cross up to Golgotha, when he was nailed to the cross, when he was placed up on that cross 
and throughout that whole time period he was there watching and seeing and as he looked at this Jesus, even in this bloody, awful mess, the beauty of Jesus shines through. You see, this centurion would have seen lots of people die and lots of people crucified, but none that handled it the way that Jesus did. He doesn't cry out in pain. He doesn't swear and curse. He doesn't call down all sorts of things on the people around him. He reaches out and says, the Father forgives them. He reaches out and looks out to them in love. And as he looks at that Jesus on the cross, the beauty of Jesus just shines through and he goes, truly this is the Son of God. You see, this is the beginning of a new life for him. You know, if you're a Roman centurion, and if anyone there had have heard him say that, his life would have been on the line. You see, he'd pledged his allegiance to another son of God, to Caesar. That was who was son of God. On the, their coins, if you looked at one of their coins, it would have Caesar written across the top, son of God, underneath it. And so he would have seen that he'd been pledged to his allegiance. He would have, as a Roman centurion, said, I pledge my allegiance to that God, to that Son of God. In this pronouncement, he's saying, no, no longer is my allegiance here, but my allegiance is up here to him. His life is on the line. This is a new beginning for him. Would have been a pretty scary beginning, wouldn't it? Just imagine that. His whole career could be completely shot at this point in time. But he saw Jesus and he put his trust in him. And then there were the women, weren't they? The women who were there, they were looking around. Look at verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger of Joseph and Salome. Uh, These women had cared for Jesus and they were there with him. And they were watching And then later we find out that they're the ones that go to be with him, don't they? In verses 1 to 8 in chapter 16. Now that's a really good sign that this is actually an accurate representation of what happened, you know. Because back in those days, it was very patriarchal, it was very male-dominated. And if you wanted to have a truthful statement accepted by everyone, you'd use blokes. But Mark uses women. Why? Because it's true. And he knows it's true. And these women come to the tomb. And look what they say at the end. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now we sit there sometimes and you think, why would they think that? Well, let me tell you this truth. This fact, okay? Resurrection back in their day was as rare as it is today. Resurrection in their day was as rare as it is today. It didn't happen. And it doesn't happen. Okay? They would have been shocked, bewildered, amazed, wouldn't they? Seriously? Well, we might have spoken about it, but that's just impossible. Oh, we know people have near-death experiences. We've seen that. And we see that, don't they? But resurrection? 
Those near-death experiences, those people still die. But this one, this one's life forever. This is resurrection. This, this is bewildering. And this is scary. Because this is real, it changes everything. If this is real, then my eternity hangs in the balance because of this person here. If this is real, then truly Jesus is the King, the Messiah, the judge of all the earth, and he's coming back. No wonder they're scared. No wonder they're afraid. You would be too. If you walked up to that graveyard and you saw a completely one dug up and open and the casket out, and then a guy standing beside it in white telling you that this person's risen, it would have been, What? I'm not walking around town. That's too scary. They would have been afraid, wouldn't it? And Mark leaves us there. That's where the story ends. Now, in some of your Bibles, you'll see there's a little bit of extra happening at the bottom. None of the early manuscripts, none of the earliest parts that we have in history have that section in there. We think that what people did was they thought, this is not a good spot to finish, Mark. We need to add an extra ending here, guys. Come on, Mark, there's more to it than that. But they've added it at the end. But the most reliable, the most accurate, the most earliest manuscripts don't have that. And I think Mark left it like this for a very good reason. I don't think he needed to add the extra ending into it. Because what he wanted to do was to draw us into the story, didn't he? He wants to bring us into the story and sit us there with the women and be going, Wow, what does this mean? this is real, this changes everything. If this is real, eternity hangs on it. He is risen. He's alive. That's going to change your life, isn't it? It's going to change your whole life. It's going to change your eternity if you believe it and trust it. This takes us from the darkness, doesn't it, on the cross, where it's complete pitch dark to light and life and hope. Hope. There it is. It's going to bring hope to us, isn't it? You see, because when Jesus rises from dead and the resurrection is there, it tells us that this broken, mucked up, messed up world is not as good as it gets. It tells us that the sin that has weighed us down and has broken us and breaks our relationships with others is not the last, doesn't have the last say. It says that the darkness of this world is going to be opened up to light for eternity. That you and I can have hope to live in this life now and live for eternity in the presence of a loving, all-consuming God forever. We can be in his presence. We can experience life now and life eternally with hope. This world is not as good as it gets. Jesus brings that to life in the resurrection, doesn't he? You see, we don't have to travel all the world and this world in us in darkness. We have the life of the hope of Jesus that lives within us when we trust and believe in him and will take us on the journey of life with light before us into an eternity ever with him. You see, when you're in complete darkness, there is separation in relationship, isn't it? And not only that, but you lose complete sense of who you are. 
Your identity is completely shot. When you are in complete darkness, enfolded in it, you don't know who you are. That's why people went mad. But when you're brought out into the light, you see others and you see yourself. You know who you are. And when we come into the light of Jesus, we know who we are in Him. We know who we are to live for Him now and we live for eternity because of Him. He gives us that hope in this broken world. Uh, if you look at our statistics in our country, suicide is not abating. People are experienced hopelessness. If you look at our world and you look at our youth, they are so confused about what they're doing and where they're heading because they have so much that's out there in front of them that they are losing hope. When you look at people our age who thought that it was all about material possessions, it was all about getting ahead, it was all about having this stuff, the right stuff, are losing hope because we've lost the story. We don't know the undergirding story anymore. We don't know who we are or where we are or why we're here. But Jesus brings the story, doesn't he? He brings it out into the light. The story of why we're here. The story of why we're broken. The story of how we can come out of that brokenness and that darkness into light forever. Jesus brings hope that nothing else can gives us a story, doesn't he? A story to be part of. This guy, guy is a name by the guy by the name of David MacDonald and we've had this book and we've promoted it before and I would encourage anyone, doesn't matter whether you're going through what he's gone through, but to read this little book, it is worthwhile. It is not a bit long but it's a really helpful book. Dave MacDonald uh, in this book tells us about his story. And his story in his life changed forever when he heard two words. Cancer and incurable. That shattered his world. Two words that he thought he would never hear. Cancer or melanoma, I think it was, and incurable. He says in his own world, that just shook him to the core. Completely changed who he was. It just sent him into a spiral of doubt and understanding and under wondering what this all means and how does this all fit together. He was a guy who was a believer. He was a pastor in a church, but here he is with a cancer that's going to kill him. And this book is his story. And it's a great story. And it comes to the end of it, and this is what he says. Regardless of the challenges you face, the difficulties of your recent circumstances, or the pain of your past, God offers you the sure hope of eternal life that is found in Jesus. I want you to know the confidence that comes from the power of God and the comfort that comes from the love of God. Please take hold of God's promises. Reach out to him and find him today. See, at the cross and in Jesus' resurrection, we have hope, don't we? We have a story. We have purpose. We have forgiveness. We have life. And all Jesus says to us is to trust in him, give our lives to him.
and he'll set us on that path. If you haven't done that before, can I encourage you today to do that? If your orbit has been around a completely different planet for so long, let me tell you to come to the sun and orbit around him. Put your trust in him. Join into his story and he will give you hope. If you've done that before, but you've seen that your orbit has seemed to have gone in a trajectory, has gone off a little bit away from the sun. If your trajectory has gone out and you're heading out into the darkness, can I encourage you to bring your orbit back around Jesus? He calls out to you this morning and says, Come back to me. Because around me is where you find life and light and truth and hope for eternity. Can I encourage you with that this morning, guys? Orbit around Jesus. Set your life around him. And he gives us hope. And his hope never, ever disappoints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we have just thought pondered and we've looked at your word together Lord and like that centurion out of risen Lord if it is true then it changes everything if it is true then all eternity hangs on it and Lord we know it's true Lord help us to trust that and know that amazing love that you have to enfold us and fill us and give us life and give us hope and give us truth, Lord. So that we can live in this dark world with the light of you, Lord, shining brightly within us, shining brightly before us, Lord. So that we can walk in this world, Lord, the way that you desire us in your story, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.